Since I moved to the United Kingdom, I've learned a lot about making fires. So in America, they're sort of a novelty, and most places too hot really to have one. But here, you really do need to know how to make one, uh, even for warmth in your house. And one of the most important things is to make sure that you get those first surface-level flames to set deeply into your wood or your coal, whatever you're using, so that you have smoldering embers that you can use to make new, more fire. And when you light those bits of kindling sticks and paper, those, those flames can get big and hot quickly. But they can also die out quickly. On the other hand, though, if you can get fire to set deeply within your coal or your bigger pieces of wood, then you have a a long-lasting source of fire. And And as long as you keep adding fuel to this deep smoldering fire, you will keep getting flame. And I think that that illustrates the difference between sort of fleeting happiness and lasting joy. Happiness is this mood that can be constantly changing. Joy is something deep and lasting. And joy is what should fuel our happiness. Because happiness can be quickly ignited And grow very big, but it can go out very quickly. Joy is like that deep smoldering fire that has set itself within the very core of the wood. This deep burning coal of joy is actually what can be most useful for recovering our happiness. And so so this sermon is, is sort of an extended reflection on Psalm 16:11. And and what I hope to accomplish here is to help us think through how to get that deep smoldering coal of joy to burn within our hearts. And th- this is actually trickier than it sounds though. It, you know, isn't it? It's, it's not enough to say Jesus is the sor- source of our joy, if we don't know how to turn that gospel truth into fuel for the fires of worship in our heart. And the sinful heart is really good at preventing us from knowing how to do that. And so I hope we can take that on together this morning. The main point, main point, that abounding joy in Christ can be found only when we learn to grow in how we cherish who Christ is and what He's done for us. Abounding joy in Christ can be found only when we learn to grow in how we cherish who Christ is and what He's done for us. We'll th- see this in three points. Defining joy disrupting joy, and displaying joy. So first, defining joy. I think that it is important 
to think about what joy is. Because it seems that people, even Christians really, so easily forget what joy is all about. Joy is not about what makes us feel like we're having fun. Joy is not about having a consistent source of the giggles. Joy is not even about building up a life here and now that protects us from all the things that would bore us or make us uncomfortable. Did you notice, after all, in this psalm that ends with an exaltation of joy in the presence of God, that it begins with a cry for help. This psalm was clearly written in the context of struggling to maintain joy as David wrote in order to remind himself of joy found in God despite present trial. And and that shows us that joy is something deeper than feelings of happiness. Joy burns within our soul, something that motivates us to keep getting out of bed, something that helps us keep moving forward to strive for more, and it helps us to give sustained focus to what the source of true joy is. Knowing what keeps our joy burning helps us to know how to to stoke that fire, fan that flame. And so what I aim to show in this point is that knowing God and what He has done for us in Christ is the, underline, the, full caps, the lasting source of joy. I I believe, and you should believe, Psalm 1611 You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. Every word crammed with meaning. Think about those words. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. It is is in God's presence that joy is. Exists. This means that if you want joy, if you want full joy, you have to be in the presence of God. And Christian, you know, Christian joy seems like like just a really easy, straightforward topic, doesn't it? What what should make us feel better and endure in hope? But, as the flow of this psalm makes clear, from the plea for help to to commitment to joy, it shows us Christian joy is a fight. It is a quest. Joy is the quest of the Christian life. And Psalm 16 reveals that this quest for joy may begin with the cry for help, for God to preserve us in trial. And are there not hard parts 
to overcome in this quest. Christian joy, though, is a map of life and death in the absolute sense. So, so it's worth, I think, taking on the hard topics. Because Psalm 1611, the psalm in total, does not mean that being a Christian entails that God now distributes things that will give you joy here. I think that's clear in this text. God, God may indeed give you things that make you happy here, and, and I genuinely hope He does. But, He might also let you get cancer. He might let a car wreck rob you of your family. He might let the devil deceive your child, children, into committing grave sin. How, how, do, how do I have joy if my child is in prison for making methamphetamines? How do I endure and joy? How do I have joy that lasts and sees me home when I learn that I, or worse, my spouse has three months to live? In my heart, breaks over these questions, but we have to answer them because this is the world in which we live, and I want each one of you to have burning joy that consumes everything that would try to extinguish it. And that is only possible if we have joy powerful enough to overcome all of these trials. So the quest for joy is a quest for the prince of God. As Psalm 16.5 says, the, the Lord is my chosen portion. Fullness of joy. Joy that overrides the decay of this world is only in communion with God, and He must be our chosen portion. And so, I suggest to you, if we are defining joy here, I suggest to you that joy is being enthralled with who God is and what He has done for us. Being enthralled with who God is and what He has done for us in Christ. Having joy in God, in the Gospel, takes understanding God, then, and the ways of God. And so, even though I've given you a definition, my point is really that there is a call for you personally to seek after the definition of joy every day for the rest of your life. Now let me try to hash that out. I, I have a dear friend 
who means the world to me in Belfast. Um, and my friend loves picnic bars. The I think it's chocolate, the candy, I think. I've never had one. They don't look good to me. But he loves them, and they make him happy, and that's the point. And you know what? I, I find great joy in knowing him well enough to, to know that he loves picnic bars. And every time I see one of these picnic bars in the shop, I laugh because I think of my friend and how much he means to me. And now, now, here's the thing. I know that my friend loves these picnic bars because I know him. And I spend time with him, and I watch what he does, and I see what bothers him, and I see how happy he gets when he has a picnic bar. And so let me ask you, do you know God like that? Do you know God in such a way that He is intimately connected to the things that you find in everyday life? Do you know what God loves well enough so that when you see those things in the world, you are actually reminded of God and it can make you smile? Because to, to fill this out some, joy will not come to you, it won't, if you do not pursue the deep things of God. And unless you, you work hard to understand God to the edges of your ability, so that it stretches you thin, where you can't comprehend Him anymore, Unless you do that, you will not have this fullness of joy. If you want joy that burns deeply enough to start new fire of joy in your life, you've got to fill yourself with the things of God. If you, if you want joy, then you have to soak yourself in the Scripture. You, you have to look at the words of God's book long and hard enough so that God gets in your bones and the gospel permeates every particle of your being. That is where joy can be found. Defining joy is the process of learning to pursue God. Defining joy is you coming to understand God and His works more and more every day for the rest of your life. And that brings us to our second point, disrupting joy. So, the last point was meant to show us that defining joy is built upon coming to deeper knowledge of God and His works. And this point is meant to help us see the things that get in the way of that. 
So the two biggest things that I think disrupt our joy, that, that interfere with our ability to have this joy, are complacency with God and consistent sin. Complacency with God and sin. Now, I am going to focus on complacency with God because I think it's the less obvious. I think this is, this is maybe not as much on our radar and consistent sin is easy enough to address another time. And so complacency with God, maybe, maybe better put boredom with God is basically the opposite of pursuing Him. And so here's, here's an assessment question that I want to give you. And really ask yourself this. Do you think you know enough about God? Do you, do you think you've got it figured out adequately? And I would put to you that if you are satisfied, if you are content with your understanding of who God is and the way He works, then you are complacent. And it will not be long before this burning coal of joy in your heart dies. And so that we know the stakes, being uninterested in God is death. And so I think, you know, one of the biggest dangers of our time that I feel the pressure of, at least every Sunday, is how practically driven we are. Which has good effects, not questioning it in total. But we are always asking, how is this useful? What can I do with it? How, how can I turn this into something that's productive for me? And I am I'm not against application. I try and will try to make application in every single sermon. But yet, you know, not everything has to be immediately practical in the same sense. If you if you want to see me bothered, you should just ask me what the practical use of a theological doctrine is. Because I, I just wonder, is, is a deeper reason to thank and worship God, is that not a good enough reason to understand something? To, to be able to thank God and worship Him? Is Deeper communion with Christ, not a high enough purpose to learn something. Knowledge of our Redeemer and reasons to worship, I find to be immensely practical on the surface. And I don't think you always need something else you can do with those things. And so disrupting joy is when we let ourselves believe that God is uninteresting. Disrupting joy is when we believe the lie that we know God well enough already. 
And disrupting joy is when we think we totally understand everything about the gospel. In short, disrupting joy is when we quit trying to learn a Christian faith. And that brings us to our third point, displaying joy. And so the first point was about centering our understanding on how we can get lasting joy. And the second point was about how complacency in our understanding of God is a giant danger that prevents us from having joy. And this point is about how we can demonstrate joy in ways that are real and apparent when we have it. And I say real because I don't think it's enough that we... I mean, it's clearly not adequate if we are fake. We cannot offer appearance of happiness as a substitute for joy. Now, I, I am not much of a chef, as you might have guessed. But I will give it a try from time to time. Uh, and one time, I made tiramisu, which is the coffee cream cheese thing. And so the first step to making this is that you soak pieces of sponge cake in coffee. And what's interesting about this is that these pieces of sponge cake are totally fine. They, they look like they should as long as you leave them soaking in coffee. But if you try to pick them up, as of course I did, they disintegrate. And the point is, it's how the Christian life works as well. As long as we soak ourselves in Christ, we will have joy. And the second that we try to step away from Christ, we fall apart. If, if you want to be filled with joy so full that it is clear how much joy you have, you have to be saturated with Christ. Saturated with overflowing with Christ. And so then the obvious question is, well, how, how do I get to that point? How do I become saturated with Christ? And the first obvious thing that is clear here every week is that you simply have to care about the Word of God. Lose yourself in it. In the Scriptures. And, and so note, Really careful. Listen, pay attention right now. And especially, I mean, if you're still building Bible reading habits. So, so young people, pay attention. Note that I did not say, read your Bible. I said, lose yourself in the scripture, which is a different thing. Do not treat this application as as saying, you just need to make time to read your Bible as if it is a box to be checked at the beginning or the end of the day. 
You have to make time to understand your Bible. And that takes thoughtful reading. And it's not mechanical. It takes asking questions of the text and learning to discern what God is teaching in these words. Deep communion with God was was not designed to fit perfectly with the age of Netflix and iPhones. And as, as much as those things can be useful to me, I also easily let them determine my day rather than forcing them to serve me. Because it takes a legitimate effort time investment to consider and understand the Word of God adequately. I think, I think lifelong soul-shaping joy is worth 25 minutes of reading, thinking, and writing each day. I I find it interesting that there's a particular way that we treat the practice of the Christian faith really differently than any other field of of life. And and let me sort of try to illustrate that some. So when when I worked at Starbucks, I learned a lot about coffee. I learned how to make it. They taught me how to teach it well, depending on your opinion. Starbucks, and then they started to try to give me details about this, even how to roast these beans, and and even how to taste a cup of coffee and tell what kind of bean this is. Which a lot of people find that sort of fascinating. It's a parlor trick that you can use to start dinner conversation. But here's the, here's the thing, you know, or to hash it out even even more. You know, people care about details and so they pursue them like that. And electricians who, who know wiring inside and out, they're respected in their trade. Engineers who study long and hard enough to be experts in their field are treated with admiration and deference for being brilliant minds. And farmers who achieve great things in producing abundant, high-quality crops or herds are sought for training and equipping other farmers. And yet, when it comes to a Christian, sometimes even ministers, whose job is to deliver the Word of God, and given themselves to knowing and disseminating its truth, the response is, is often something more like, Look at them locked in the ivory tower with books. What a waste. And so I'm not, I think you know this, I'm not saying that each of you has to become a scholar. I am saying that each of you 
needs to take to understanding the Word of God as a requirement if you want joy. And I'm guessing you want joy. It is not, it's not ivory tower isolationism to pursue God through reading, journaling, and reflecting. God did write a book. And so we might think that He thinks reading is important. And so, to tie this back around, how, how is all of this about displaying our joy? Well, it's sort of about planting the seeds, isn't it? I, I think, personally though, it genuinely is an act of worship to read the Scriptures. And I think it is a with, with the intent to, to digest it. I think it's a sign of joy in the Lord when we give ourselves to understanding whole books of the Bible, locking understanding of the Word of God, of this book in our hearts, is what gives us fuel for joy and fuel to speak about the things that you think are great about God when you have time with friends, family, and neighbors. You, you cannot go and tell your friends about the joy you have in God, whether they are Christians or not, unless you are storing up new understanding of God. You have, you have to keep baking fresh bread in your hearts. Because you cannot live on stale bread. And you certainly cannot assume that if you give stale bread to someone else, they can live on it, much less find it enticing as a way of life. And so, of course, the next step to reflecting, digesting, being gripped by the Word of God, is to share those things you're learning with friends, family, and neighbors. I mean, and I'm not... I'm not trying to be fanciful here. I just mean, you learn something, talk about it. I don't, I don't want to make it hard. Displaying joy is about building practices in your life that increase, protect, and spread your love of God. Displaying joy is identifying specific things about God that make you excited to love him. So, as we close, some of you may be saying, you know, look, Harrison, you, you've gone on and on about understanding, but I just don't want to turn God into some academic exercise of knowing things. I, I want a useful relationship with God. But, I, I mean, let's be honest. With, with yourselves, with me, I, I think we all should know that I'm not asking you to engage in some sort of dry academic endeavor. I'm asking you to give yourself to understanding the 66 letters that God wrote to you. Because He did write them so that you could know Him. Imagine, if, if you will, that a wife comes home 
and says to her husband something like, I've realized something new about myself and I I want to tell you about it. I finally have figured out why I do X, Y, and Z a certain way and I, I understand myself better now and I want to share it with you. And now, now imagine if that husband says, honey, I, it's great, but I only want to hear this if it has immediate practical relevance for me. That, that's not going to end well. And we should not, we should not treat God like that either. We should seek to know Him through the Word that He has given us because He has given it to us so that we might know Him. Knowing Him is what will fill us with enough joy to last our lives, all our lives. And only that will equip us to say with Paul in Colossians one twenty four. I rejoice in my sufferings. Essentially because my sufferings are making more people know Jesus Christ. That is white, hot, molten joy. And how can we have that? I want each one of us to be gripped with joy like that so we can endure all things this life throws at us so that we might get home safe with joy. And so the last thing, last thing to remember is the absolute key to our own joy. Is how, did you notice in Psalm 16, this, this crescendo of exalting in joy is based in the fact that God will not let His Holy One see corruption. Verse 10. And ultimately, is that not Jesus Christ who came and died for his people to forgive their sins? But because of his righteous life, his perfect righteousness, God would not let him endure corruption, but raised him to life for you. And underlying our own joy is remembering what that Christ's joy is. Hebrews 12.1 For the joy that was set before Him, Jesus Christ, He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Take really careful note. Of this. The joy that drove Jesus to endure the cross was giving eternal life to you. Christ's own joy was having you in his kingdom forever. The joy that was so all consuming that he climbed the cross. He did not have to go but voluntarily climbed the cross in shameful, excruciating death to obtain this joy was to forgive your sin 
and have communion with you in eternity. It is reflecting on this Savior that will make white-hot cinders of joy in your heart that will last your whole life. Let's pray.